Welcome to Working Graduates, a conversation show where graduates of the Landmark Forum share what they're up to in the world of business and how they're using transformational methods in their professional lives. I am Scott Herbst, co-founder of LandmarkGrads.com, an online professional community for graduates of the Landmark Forum. And today, it is my real privilege to be talking with Karima Akila. She is a mother of six, and why we're talking is because she's the founder of the Genius School, a decentralized, democratic, self-directed school. And I think the last thing I want to say by way of introduction is I'm really excited to talk to you, really excited to learn more. Karima and I met at a networking event where she shared about the Genius School and uh, and the room was bowled over i would say you know talking in the landmark lingo enrollment was present so i immediately invited uh, her to come on our podcast and it is my pleasure to introduce to you karima akila hi karima hey scott thank you so much for having me um i'm so excited for this conversation my pleasure um, I thought we would start uh, where we often start these conversations is uh, tell us a little bit about your participation with Landmark and uh, we'll start there. Perfect. So I attended an introduction to the Landmark Forum. I had no idea what it was that I was attending and that was back in I think 2019. And so I registered into the forum at the Washington DC Center. I, I want to say it was April of 2019. Of course, I was completely blown away by the distinctions of the forum. Um, after that, I registered myself into the advanced course that I also took at the DC Center. And it was there at the advanced course that I registered myself for the self-expression leadership program, but I registered for it in Atlanta. And I had purposed in my mind that that was going to be my last winter <laughs> in the great Northeast. Awesome. And didn't didn't have a house down here yet, but I said, I'm going to take my SELP in Atlanta. And so I did that in December, moved to Atlanta in December of 2019, began self-expression leadership. And as you know, uh, the whole world, of course, came to a screeching halt. And so I had to complete that program over Zoom um, in the spring of 2020. And then shortly after that, in July of 2020, I registered for the Introduction Leaders Program and completed that in April of 2021. And so I've taken a couple of seminars in between there, Velocity. I'm currently in the Effectiveness course right now. Um, the effectiveness seminar, and I'm looking at what's next, either wisdom, wisdom is calling my name, or uh, TMLP. So we'll see where I land next. Awesome. And, um, and tell me now about the Genius School. <sighs> Scott, well, in order to tell you about the Genius School, I have to just go back a second. And... Go as far back as you want. This is really your opportunity to share whatever you want. So okay. have at it. Well, I normally start with the fact that I was a public school teacher turned stay-at-home mom. What did you teach? I taught first and fifth grade, which means that oh, I taught wow. right? Both at the same time or? No, no, no. One year okay. I taught, taught first grade for one year, taught fifth grade for about two or three years. Wow, that's a big jump. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you go wherever you're needed. And so okay. they needed me in, in fifth grade. 
and I loved it. And uh, shortly after that, my husband and I uh, were pregnant with our first. And so I became a stay-at-home mom. That child was born in late December. And that's significant because if you have children, you know that they cannot start school until they are five by September 1st. Yes. Okay. So this kid wasn't going to turn five until a whole you know, year later, and he was already reading. He and be one of the oldest kids in his class. Exactly. And he yep. was already, you know, academically, he was already mature. And I said, you know, I don't know if that would be wise for me to place him in a public school where we were living at the time. And so I said, well, why don't we just continue what we're doing? And my husband said, can we do that? And I was like, of course we could do that. And so that's how we began officially homeschooling. Um, by that time, we had three children. And uh, what you need to know is we began homeschooling simply by playing games. I was following a methodology at the time by a man of the name of Glenn Doman. And he taught them. Glenn Doman. Glenn Did Doman. I, yep. Okay. The Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential in Philadelphia. Now, I, I grew up there in Philly, and I drove by this school every day on my way to high school. Had no idea what was going on behind the hedges. Yeah. Behind those hedges, there were miracles happening. And Dr. Glenn Doman would tell parents, you only teach when you are joyful and your child is joyful. Number two, you only offer what it is that your child loves to learn about. And number three, you stop before your child wants you to stop. So that's how we began, Scott, right? And so it was beautiful. The children all thought we were playing games and I would show them their favorite words and um, they would sit there on the edge of their seat. I would stop before they wanted me to stop and their reward was me tickling them and running around the house. Yeah. Then when the oldest one, um, you know, when children lose their baby teeth and the adult teeth start growing in, you know, yeah. They start to look a little strange, right? And I said, you know, maybe we ought to be doing real school, right? Yeah. So that's when I put down that wonderful teaching and I picked up my training. I was trained to be an educator. Yes. So I picked up the curriculum and I sat my children down at the table and every single thing that Dr. Doman, Glenn Doman taught me went out the window. Mm -hmm. So it was exactly as most of us remember school, um, following the curriculum, doing what the curriculum said you should do, when you should do it, what you should learn and how. Fast forward many, many years. How did your, how did your kids like that? Well, you know, they're, they didn't. Um, yeah. But they also heard this thing called school and they thought that, well, maybe this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Right, when we get older. And so we were classically homeschooling, which means that we were following something called the trivium. Right. What is that? I'm unfamiliar with that term. So that is a, a, a medieval term used to distinguish the three different learning um, segments of a child's life. So for younger children, you have the grammar stage where a child is just learning the basics of, of everything, right? The grammar yeah. stage. Then you have the logic stage, which happens somewhere around like middle school, where we actually teach children how to debate isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah, okay. And then in high school, you have the rhetoric stage where the focus is on being able to deliver and, and persuade someone 
um, towards your viewpoint. Okay, got it. Yeah, so it's, it's a beautiful um, methodology and um, pedagogy. It just didn't quite work for us because I had children that had interests outside of that. So sure. time, I had six kids, right? And I am, I mean, I am a, a slave to the curriculum. Scott, whatever the curriculum said we were supposed to do, that is what I thought we needed to do in order for me to have these successful, happy children. Yep. And as a result, what we were doing was school at home, sitting at the din dining room table. Scott, I actually dressed my children up in uniforms to come to the dining room table. No kidding. I did. I, uh -huh. I wish I was kidding, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, I was ringing a bell in between subjects, right? The kids were doing assignments. We had assignments and tests out the wazoo. Um, and we were all being frustrated. My kids were checked out. They were disengaged. I was being a failure. I felt that I was always behind the curriculum. And burnout was beginning to settle in depression right? Apathy mm -hmm. from the children. Yeah. And I said, this isn't working. There's got to be something else. And as I looked out over the homeschooling landscape, I found these people out in the corner and these parents seemed to be the exact opposite of me. Right? Mm -hmm. So whereas I was overwhelmed and frustrated and depressed, they were chilling, they were relaxed, they were confident. Yeah. My children were um, disengaged and lethargic with learning, right, and apathetic. Their children were curious and passionate and um, self-starters. And I said, yeah. there's got to be, I, I want to know what they're doing because yeah. there's got to be something better. And as I leaned in, Scott, I learned that they were doing this thing that I said I would never do. In the world of homeschooling, they were doing this methodology called unschooling. Uh-huh. Okay. Which means the exact opposite of everything that you know about school, meaning compulsory learning, right? They were not doing that. Yeah. That they were following the interests of the children. And so I said, I said I would never do that, but I can't stay where I am. So yeah. So I gave it a shot but I wasn't willing to give up so easily, Scott. Mm -hmm. So we began with, and I had to use my TV voice to sell it, okay? <laughs> What's your, let me hear your TV voice. Let me hear my TV voice? Okay. Yeah. For the podcast, here we go. I told the children, I said, children, we're going to have delight-driven mornings. And uh, no, we're gonna have classical mornings and delight-driven afternoons. And my younger ones were like, okay, mom, that sounds exciting. My older ones were like, mm-mm. What's nope. the trick? Like exactly yeah don't believe her so that's what we did i started them in the morning teaching the curriculum they sat down they were still looking at me you know bored and apathetic and apathetic um, and i was still overwhelmed but i felt like this is what i had to do to make sure that they learned the basics then we had lunch and then after lunch we went into delight driven afternoons and scott that light that every parent and every teacher wants to see I saw that light come back on. Mm -hmm. They were allowed to learn the things that were important to them. And I became their assistant. And so what I discovered is the very same things that I taught and that they took a test on and passed, now that they're actually using it, now they're actually learning it because now it's important to them, 
right? So after a few weeks of this, you know, they're very smart. They woke up one day, Scott, and they began delight-driven afternoons before breakfast. Mm-hmm. And right there, I had an entire parent-teacher conference in my head. The teacher in me said, make them stop. The, uh-uh, make them uh-huh. stop. It is not time for delight-driven afternoons. It is time for classical mornings. Make them stop. But the mother, the parent in me said, if I stop this for the sake of teaching, I will actually be stopping authentic learning. Yeah. And so that was our entranceway into unschooling. Shortly after that, my husband was diagnosed with leukemia, Mm. which meant an hour long trip from our home in York, Pennsylvania, up to Hershey, Pennsylvania. During that time, I had just enough energy to yell over my shoulder as I was getting my husband out of the house in his walker. I would yell to the children, feed your hearts, feed your bodies, feed your brains. Do learn whatever you want that you love to do. Right now, I got to go take care of your dad. Yeah. And so 12 months of that, right? During that time, the children really solidified their passion. And I got to see... What happens when you allow children to be curious and when you support them and when you trust them? The very same things that I was begging them to do, write a paper, they now willingly did on their own because now they saw the relevance of it. So fast forward a year of that and then my husband passed away, right, in February 2016. And so now here I am, a freshly newly minted single, widowed single mom of six kids. Yeah, I had been a stay-at-home mom all that time, right? We're talking about from 1998 until 2016. Yeah. And I said, okay, I got to figure this out. But I, I wanted to give my younger ones something similar that the older ones had. So I started consulting other homeschooling families on how they, too, can have this way of learning, right? One of the families that I met with, she was a single mom of about mm-hmm. three, four kids. And she heard the difference that self-directed learning or unschooling would make. And Scott, she began to cry. Mm -hmm. And she said through her tears, she said, this would save my son because right now in school, he does not fit. Yeah. And he is being depressed and he is in that depression is causing him to take actions that are not desirable because he is less than in this school system. And she said to me, I can't homeschool them because, you know, I'm a single mom. Don't you want to start a school? (laughs) And I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. Uh (laughs) That sounds really, really difficult. But I could not deny her tears. And I could not ignore the difference that it made in my children and the difference that it would make for hers. So I began the work of researching what it would take And I stumbled upon schools that were already in existence. Sudbury schools, for example, have been in this country since the late 1960s. Okay. And I discovered, though, that these types of schools have four main problems. And Mm -hmm. I said that, you know, if I'm going to do something, I don't want to perpetuate what doesn't work. Yeah. So 
I am out to solve these four main problems with the genius school, but that is the birth of the genius school. That's how it. What were the four problems? Can I ask? Sure. The four problems are lack of awareness is the first one. People don't like just people don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's funny because I had not heard of Sudbury schools. I've heard of Montessori. I've heard of Waldorf, but I haven't heard of Sudbury. Exactly. And so the difference, there's only one big difference. This way of learning, self-directed learning, it's non-compulsory. So Montessori, while it is, while children experience a lot of freedom, there is still an element of compulsion where a child has to sit down at this table and work with this Montessori teacher. But there is still a lot of freedom that children can experience in Montessori. So okay, that's, got it. that's the closest thing. So I tell people it's Montessori on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> you can, right? So that's the first problem, lack of awareness. The second problem is a lack of documentation. If there is no one central curriculum, how are you going to know what everyone's doing? I experience this when I'm in the hospital with my husband. I call home. I have six kids. They're all doing something different. We were living in Pennsylvania, which meant as a homeschooler, you had to be evaluated at the end of the year. Yeah. And if there's no curriculum, then how am I going to know what to show this lady? And right. so I sat there and I said, you know, I wish there was a way the kids could take their cell phone and take a picture or video of what they're doing and write a brief narrative about it. And to which a little voice said, well, why don't you build that? And I said, oh, build that. Okay. Yeah, you actually just described the way, you know. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so I did. So I built an app that allows that to happen. Um, and we're actually enhancing that app to allow for high school transcription creation, um, plus some other bells and whistles. So that's the second problem, lack of documentation. Um, third problem, uh, lack of funding. For some of these schools, if tuition is a problem, if that's a barrier, then how do we solve that? So we're working yeah. on a way to solve that. And then finally, lack of diversity. A lot of these Sudbury schools at that time, mind you, this is well before pandemic because things have changed now. But a lot of those schools were pretty much monoculture. You know, it was, they were white, they were of an upper, um, higher social economic, higher education um, parents, and in certain neighborhoods. Yeah. And uh, I differ in a lot of those categories. Obviously, I am um, African-American and um, and I wanted to create something that would reflect me. Yeah. And not just those differences. What about neurodiverse children? What about physically disabled children? And so we are looking to solve all of those problems with the Genius School. Awesome. And, uh, well, anything else you want to say about that? How's it going? I'm curious. Well, so the first problem, lack of awareness, right? Like, it's like that, that is the one that everything else is built upon, right? So it's like, you know, people have to even be aware that this is, that this even exists in order to bring synergy to solving the others. And in order yeah. for them to be aware of this, they first have to be aware of what isn't working where they currently are. So, to solve that problem of the lack of awareness, I've created the Genius Directorship, which is um, anyone who loves this idea can be a genius director wherever they are in the world, right? And so the training is to be able to lead the genius conversation. 
Mm-hmm. And the genius conversation is one where we simply ask parents, you know, what's not working for you? Yeah. And we 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 make it really black and white. You know, they're able to see for themselves, you know, what are you doing that isn't working? What do you have? And the all important, who are you being? Mm-hmm. And Scott, I mean, I have, I meet with parents all the time. I've met with hundreds of them and they all say the same thing. Um, the being part, you know, they're being stuck or their kid is being frustrated or disengaged or um, angry. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And I ask them, okay, well, what's missing that would make a difference? And they say, uh, or said another way, who does your kid never get to be in school? Yeah. And and Scott, to see the reaction, right? Because, you know, I have this conversation on Zoom. First, they lean back in their chair. They, they exhale. Their eyes go up in the sky. And they shake their head. Sometimes they cry. Oftentimes they cry. And they say, you know, they never get to be authentic. My kid never gets to be creative. They never get to be supported in their interests. Um, they never get to be confident. I'm hearing excited. Yeah. When I think about my school experience, I didn't like school. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a really smart kid, did well in school, but I didn't really like it. When summer ended, I was like, oh, you know, oh. Yeah. And so so what was yeah. missing for you was excitement. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so this one parent said, you know, fun, play. We never get to have fun. And so I invite them. I would have invited you. Okay, well, that's, are you willing to invent that as a possibility? And then they say, yeah, you know, but then they ask the question, but how can a school do that? How can a learning environment provide for a way for my kid to be excited or fun or connected or curious or passionate? And then Scott, and this is the main thing that um, that I wanted to share with your listeners. What I discovered, <laughs> and I mean, I've been working on this now for maybe about, let's see, about six years, right? What I discovered just a couple of weeks ago is that the distinctions that we experience in the forum are the same distinctions that I lead parents to when we talk about the bridge to getting this way of learning. Yeah. We first have to take what already exists, everything we know about school, and we have to de-school. We first have to take the relationship that parents have with their children and we have to decolonize that. Say so say that a little bit what you mean by that. By de-school and decolonize? Yes. Yeah. So first we'll start with decolonizing parenting because the parents are the gateway. We first have to get to the parents and they have to see something in order to allow this for their kids. So decolonizing parenting, and in order to answer this question properly, I'm gonna quote my good friend, Akila Richards, who is the author of a book called Raising Free People. Yeah. And the the podcast called Fair the Free Child. She says that decolonizing parenting- Could you say the name of that podcast again? Sure, Fair, F-A-R-E. Fair of the Free Child. Fair of the Free Child. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. And I'll send you a link for it. Great. Fair of the Free Child. And so she says that decolonizing parenting begins when we understand that when we approach children without choice or voice, so when yep. we approach a child without that choice or voice, 
then we are colonizing that land, those children. In that instance, we become the oppressors. Yes. And so when you give a child choice and voice, you're actually giving them freedom. And without choice or voice, for example, would be like, okay, you got to go to school now. Or, you know, it's 8 a.m. Now it's time to do classical learning. Get out the math book. That's correct. Or to make it even more personal, you know, the holidays are coming around. Without choice or voices, go give your auntie a hug. Yes. Okay. Got it. Great. Right. And so and, cause I, I remember that growing up, right? I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah. Hug. Like, why do I have to? Because I said so. Exactly. Yeah. Because I said so. And so that freedom is something that cannot be tethered, right? Freedom doesn't just stay in one area. It is something that is free. So therefore it bleeds into all areas. One of those areas would include education and learning, like the yeah. example just gave. So when parents create this relationship with their children, then now that's going to go into the area of learning. When it bleeds into learning, now we have to de-school which means we have to come away from everything that we know about school and in essence, make school mean nothing. Okay, got it. So, you know, connecting this back to Landmark and what you were saying, it's like really getting to nothing around school. Getting to nothing around school. Yep, awesome. Yep, and when you get to nothing around school, as we know, from nothing you can create anything, right? Then we bring in, we look at the distinctions that we see in the advanced course, and we mirror that with what we call self-directed learning, where now once we have nothing, now the self gets to say what the self wants to learn. That's so interesting. What I'm, what I'm present to is how, um, How much, how many school people, it really is made up, right? <laughs> and it's made up and handed down for, in some cases, probably centuries, right? Just the, like, oh, like, okay, kid, we got to send them to school now. And, like, send them away, and there's a person there who's the expert who's going to drill information into them. And, uh, and you sit at desks, and, you, like, you got to learn to behave, and all this stuff that was made up who knows when mm -hmm. because probably it made someone's life more convenient or who knows right like not because it works or it is you know in the interest of some intention to actually have kids develop and grow and you know live their best life whatever you would say right be their possibility uh, that's pretty cool. And I'm also present to, uh, like some resistance here with me about like, but that's not how it's done. That's not how it's done. Like, how's that going to work? Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, ask me a question. Ask me a question. Where, where do you see some pushback and resistance? Um, well, I don't know that I have a question that is, I'm just noticing it for myself. Yeah. There isn't like, um, well, I'm really interested in this is what I would say, because uh, I think it's actually in the balance of, maybe that's not the right way of saying it, but noticing that resistance of like, well, how's that going to work? How are you going to like, yeah. you know, one question that came up for me 
that I think you you pointed to, if not spoke directly to, was well, how are you gonna know if a kid's ready for college, Perfect. right, without the documentation, right? right? Even, even beyond the documentation, um, that is the one of the questions that we get all the time, right? Yeah. Um, get into college well number one with this way of living and learning because the living actually is the learning you get to see who a person really is and you get to figure out and they get to figure out is college something that i need to do in order to be who i'm designed to be you know who i say that i am so for instance out of my six kids i have one that is in college right now because she wants to be an interior designer the number three wants to be a farmer. And so no college necessary for him. He just needed to apprentice with another farmer. And yeah. that's exactly what he's doing, right? The next kid wants to be an engineer. And so he's teaching himself coding and he is um, taking various math and science courses and he will go to college to be an engineer. But I will drop this, and this is important to note, there's a front door approach to college and then there's the side door. Front door, very traditional approach. Take the SAT for now, as long as that is something that's still relevant, right? And apply. Side door approach, which is becoming more of a front door approach, is dual enrollment. So while you are in high school, you take classes at the community college and you can earn enough credits simply to transfer in. Awesome. Yeah, many people who have a who when when there is some pushback, um, Scott. The first thing they always say to me is, "Well, if we let them learn what they want to learn, how will they know what they're supposed to know?" And I, I mean, I get excited, Scott, when people ask that question because I'm like, "Ooh, the answer is in the question. How will you know what you're supposed to know?" Well, when the self is able to direct what the self wants to learn, then now we are really at the heart of who the self is. Yeah. The self will always feed itself. So if you're an artist, you're gonna feed yourself art stuff. If you're, in a, if you're a farmer, like my kid, you're gonna feed yourself agriculture and, and, and botany, right? Yeah, if, and if you're an artist who wants to go into the business of art, you're gonna learn business. You're gonna learn business, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I never took a business class and I'm in business for myself. There you go. Because humans learn as a result of one of three things. Either you love something and you acquire that knowledge, you let it in, or you find something is relevant to you and you let that knowledge in, or you're curious about something and you let that knowledge in. One of three. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you were saying about when I interrupted you about uh, creating from nothing. That's where we kind of branched off there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to let you continue making that point. Yeah, it's so I was assisting um, with one of the forums, right? And I was, you know, there as the forum leader was generating, you know, that distinction with the participants. And I mean, I was blown back in my chair because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, because my children and I, we literally live as if school does not exist. We live yeah. outside of the confines of school. We learn whatever we want to learn, when we want to learn it, um, how we want to learn it. We schedule our days however we want 
because for us, school does not exist. Like it is, when I say Scott, it is nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much of a nothing school is for us. The only time that school enters the picture is when we have to step back into the world at large when, for instance, when it's time for a kid to graduate from high school. Yeah. And then we have to meet whatever the state's requirements are. I live in Georgia now, and there are no state requirements, basically, for high school graduation. I get to determine that. Oh, awesome. So I get to determine what his credits are and all of that. But you said it. All of this was made up. Yeah. All of it. I mean, every single last bit of it. You know, what a credit is. Carnegie unit. All that does is measure the time that you spend on something. It doesn't measure how well, how competent you are at something. It just measures, right. did you spend enough time on this, right? That's it. Um, so yeah, coming from nothing, getting to nothing is the process. And so what I do is I coach parents in that process. So we have, we offer with the Genius School decolonizing parenting coaching and de-schooling coaching, because we have to bring nothingness to both. Yep. Right? So the, the ways that we have been taught to parent children, and I'm going to speak specifically for the Black, Indigenous, people of color community, right? My mother was born in 1950. She was born down here in Georgia in Jim Crow. The very yeah. first word she ever learned to read was the word colored. Yep. For her growing up in that time, that meant you had to understand the way things worked or it literally meant life or death. Yeah, you could be killed, yep. Exactly. So now she wanted a better life for her children. So we moved, she moved to Philadelphia, met my dad, had me and my brother and sister. But there were still some of that old ways of being left in Yes. Her. And so as she was raising us, on one hand, she wanted to give us what she could not have. But then on the other hand, there was this still... I need to protect you. So she would say to us, you can't do that. Meaning you as a black brown girl cannot do what non black white children can do. Yeah. Like not like don't hit your sister, but that part of the world is just cut off from you. Part of the world is cut off. And, and literally what's cut off is being curious, taking a risk, being authentic in some circles and circumstances, you can't do that because in the way the world occurs to my mom and to many others, the world is not forgiving of you as a black or brown person. Now in the world of education, that plays out in the classroom all the time. As a former teacher in that classroom, I would see children who would come from homes where they would say, you can't do that. So instead of taking a risk academically, that child would not. Yeah. I would see other children raising their hands all the time, not afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. The world didn't occur to them as such. Right. So now we talk about giving parents, decolonizing parenting. Now you have black and brown families giving choice and more importantly, giving voice to their children. Yeah. Now you have your mother and your aunties and your cousins looking at you crazy because you are actually turning to your children and asking them what they think. Yes. So th that is important. If this is to be sustainable, if freedom and education is to be sustained, 
the freedom and liberation in the parenting child relationship first has to be sustained. We first yes. have nothing to that. So that's why those two conversations must go hand in hand. Awesome. I'm hearing you really coach people in opening up exploration and curiosity. Yeah. Yep. And really looking at, okay, you know, what's, what's not working in your life? You yeah. Know, do you want to stay there or do you want to transform it? You know, that is your choice. Um, I was meeting with one of my directors, actually that day that I spoke to you and she said, you know, I'm having a really hard time because I feel like I have to convince everyone of this. And Scott, before I knew it, it flew out of my mouth. I said, no, 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 we're not convincing anybody, but we are enrolling everybody. Mm -hmm. And she said, ooh. <laughs> now, of course, I had to go back and explain what enrollment was. Yeah. yeah that's the case. We're, we're not, I don't have to convince anybody. All I, all I get to do, and I love that I get to do it, Scott, I get to meet with people. And I get to hold the space for them to discover it for themselves. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It really is awesome. It is. Is there anything else you really are dying to share? So I will say that I am most excited to have this conversation with you, knowing the audience that you have, because when I was assisting during that forum and I got <laughs> that the distinctions of the forum and the advanced course are here in the genius school with the distinctions of de-schooling, decolonizing parenting and then self-directed learning. What I got, Scott, is I would love a world where I get to do this with other graduates. I would love a world where graduates who understand and have experienced the impact of those distinctions join me in creating a world like this for children. So um, thegeniusschool.org is the website that folks can go to to learn more. They can schedule the time to meet with me on Zoom. We'll have the genius conversation. And if anyone is interested in um, creating a micro school, because that's what we are, we are micro schools that are uh, will be located around the world. So far, we have directors in Georgia and say just a little bit about what a micro school is. Sure, micro schools meaning intentionally intent. The intention is around um, community and a community that is small for the sake of every voice being heard. Yeah, small and micro for the sake of the children being in charge of their own school and their own learning. Yeah. Um, and when you think of a traditional school with hundreds of children, it could be difficult for everyone's voice to be um, to be experienced and heard in a micro school of, say, no more than maybe 50, 60 children in the whole entire K through 12 school. Right? OK. Um, it gives more of an opportunity for, for the voice to be heard. Um, and it gives more of a cohesiveness around um, what this community has decided. Perfect. To yeah. Each Perfect. school is unique unto itself, meaning I provide the context of we are built upon the foundation of decolonized parenting, liberation learning, and our five pillar invitations. The five pillar invitations are know thyself, do something every single day that you enjoy, you do well, and you're proud of that lights you up on the inside. Know yep. your source, 
Know how to maintain your mental and emotional well-being. Know how to make your own money. Children can learn and they are invited to learn about financial literacy. Awesome. The world. Travel around your world locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. And then number five, know how to serve your community with your genius. Where someone from the community comes into the genius school and they do what I call a reverse pitch. Pitch the children your problem. And we invite the children to solve it, starting with the younger ones who are full of innovation and imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Five-year-olds, right? Whatever they say, no matter how crazy, we take what they say, then we give it to the guys who are about, you know, nine or ten. Put a little reality on it, but you got to keep what the younger ones said. Yeah. Give it to the high schoolers, and then they create a product or a service, wrap it in a system known as a business, and offer that back to the community. Right oh, there, that's awesome. We're able to close the return on investment gap in education. We can see the value of play for the five-year-old, right? Right there. So that's what I'm inviting people to do. That's what I'm inviting Landmark graduates to consider, a world where it works for everyone because the self gets to direct what it is that the self loves to learn. So if any Landmark graduates are interested in something like this, I would love to have the conversation with them. I am working to make this available everywhere um, around the world. And come on and play with me. Um, this is the game that I'm that I'm playing. I'm playing the game of of making school nothing, and therefore, so that children can have any and everything. Karima Akila, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming by and spending some time with us, and just really sharing what you're up to in the world. You're welcome, Scott. You know, one thing, I always like to share a little bit about what I saw for myself. And uh, what I really heard out of this was the power of getting to nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in that, I also saw that, like, i got to confront what's already there. And just the already always, which in this case was, but this is how it's done. This is how it's done. Okay. Right? Um but really thank you for your stand for people and children and communities and thank you so much for sharing that with us and we will make sure people know how to get in touch with you thank you so much scott and thank you for the work that you're doing on this platform i'm so excited for what's possible my pleasure all right we will see you next time the Landmark Forum is a registered trademark of Landmark Worldwide and Landmark Grads, who brought you this podcast today, is not affiliated with Landmark Worldwide in any capacity. Thank you.